0: Hello Gamecock Nation and welcome to this special live game recap edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and you can find my written work over on Gamecocks Digest on SI.com. Thank y'all so much for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available, as always, both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. This live show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanduel.com slash On. To get started. That game was a rough one for Shane Beamer and South Carolina, and honestly, for a lot of you, I could probably just make that one statement and end the show right here, and we could all move on with the rest of our days, but that's not what I'm going to do on this show. As tough as it is when these kind of games occur, I'm going to dive into what all happened Last night, I'm going to dive into what all went wrong. We're going to touch on a few of the players that did stand out on this team because it wasn't all bad. And we'll also discuss maybe what the staff needs to consider doing moving forward. Maybe some of the plans they should implement for the Furman game in terms of trying to figure out which guys can step up at certain spots for this team. So let's start off with probably the elephant in the room coming out of this North Carolina game. The Gamecocks have a few serious long-term issues on this team right now that likely will not be solved quickly, and those issues lie primarily in the trenches. Let's start with the offensive line. This offensive line is going to be a bigger problem than I think we all expected to be. Now, I will admit, coming into this season, I did not ever say that I thought this offensive line was going to do good. I definitely did not ever say that I thought they were going to do great. I did think that this offensive line was going to be a bit of an inconsistent up-and-down unit, but I did think that this could be an offensive line that was serviceable, much like the offensive lines have been for South Carolina for the last year or two. Never great, but at least at times, when you needed them to be serviceable, they were. Um, Saturday night, this offensive line unit was just flat out not good enough, especially at the offensive tackle position. In terms of pass protection, the offensive tackle spot was just downright bad. The guys that South Carolina brought in, and I'll discuss this in more detail later on in the show, um, they did not show a lot of promise against a defense that last year ranked in the 90s or in the 100s in the majority of major statistical categories on the defensive side of the ball. This staff is going to have to experiment a little bit, in my opinion, with this Furman game coming up. This would be a perfect time to do it. Granted, Furman is a very good football team. They are, like I think, a top 10 team in terms of the FCS rankings right now. So you certainly, especially after what North Carolina did to you in the trenches, you cannot sleep on the Paladins at all. You can't. But I do think this staff needs to think about even after just one week, making some tweaks, making some changes in terms of the personnel and starting lineup. Tree Babalade, one of the highly talented true freshman offensive linemen for the 2023 class. I believe he dressed for the North Carolina game. He was there in Charlotte. He did not play, from what I can recall. But a Tree Babalade is progressing on practice, and the coaching staff deems him to be ready to go out there and at least see what he can do. I think they need to do that this week. I don't think they need to put it off. If you think Trey Babalotti can go out there and his confidence is going to be wrecked, again, especially against what is on the schedule, one of your easier opponents for this entire season, you need to go ahead and see what he's got. Because quite frankly, the veterans in front of him, I don't know how much more they're going to offer. Just don't. In terms of the offensive guard positions, I was a bit surprised that Ja'Kai Moore was starting at right guard on Saturday. I don't think Ja'Kai Moore has ever played at right guard that I can recall in all the years he's been here at South Carolina. I know he's played at right tackle. I know he's played at left tackle. I know he's played left guard. I can't recall a single game in which he's ever played right guard. And the thing is, Ja'Kai Moore's strength is his pass blocking. And it's going to sound sp- Stupid simplistic, but if you've got an offensive lineman whose strengths pass blocking, you typically want them on the left side of the line of scrimmage. Nick Gargiulo is supposed to be extremely versatile. I do believe that. I think he is. He can play pretty much any spot on the interior. Maybe you consider flipping those two for this next game and seeing if that helps you out. Or, maybe you bump out Ja'Kai Moore back to right tackle. And you see what maybe Marquis Anderson can do once he comes back. He did not make the trip for the North Carolina game. Don't know if that was maybe any sort of issue or violation. Again, not trying to speculate, or if it was an injury. We just don't know. But Shane Beaver did not say anything from what I can recall about him being out in terms of injuries for this game. So, interested to maybe hear or see what Shane Beaver has to say, whether it's his Sunday night teleconference call later today or his Tuesday press conference on what all is going on with Marky Anderson's situation. You could also maybe consider putting Tyshawn Wanamaker inside. Maybe put him at right guard. And again, still have Ja'Kai Moore go out to right tackle. Point being, you've got to shake things up up front. Because these offensive tackles, for the most part, they're not going to get it done for you right now. They just aren't. That might sound like an overreaction to some of you, but y'all, North Carolina, I think, had 17 sacks all year in 2022. They got nine On Saturday night. And I can only recall maybe one or two of them. That were on Spencer Rattler. One or two. Everybody else. Or all the other sacks I should say. In my opinion. Was on the offensive line. I still got to go back and watch the game. Maybe my opinion changes on that a little bit. But the O-line did not help out their quarterback. Run game never stood a chance. Run game had absolutely no chance to ever establish a rhythm in this game and even when there were plays where On Joiner had space to work with On could not break tackles or shake guys loose. And again, I know it's one game, but that position group, it looks like that the questions that people had about that position unit this off season um they're valid. They're valid. As far as I can tell. Mario Anderson nor DJ Braswell got carries in this game. And that was a bit surprising to me. Considering all the talk about running back by committee. And then none of those guys saw a snap. On Saturday night. Question that as well. Defensive line was not disruptive at all. Against the Tar Heels offensive line. They never had control of this game. On their side of the ball. In the 60 minutes played. South Carolina recorded one tackle for loss on defense. One. One. In 60 minutes of play. North Carolina converted 8 of their 13 third down attempts. South Carolina had chances to get off the field. Multiple chances. And they just couldn't get the job done. And at times, if they did get off the field, it quite frankly was because they got lucky and Drake May overthrew a man. Like the fourth down conversion attempt that the Tar Heels had, I believe, in the first half on South Carolina's, like, 20-something yard line. They were right there around the red zone or they were in the red zone and Drake May just flat out missed a pass to his receiver. His receiver dropped it, but they were wide open. They had South Carolina's defensive back beat by two, three steps and they just didn't make it happen. Uh, Going back to the D-line, they could not get off blocks at all and in my opinion, that was extremely disappointing especially with that defensive tackle group that i talked so much about going into this season. A group that is deep, a group that's talented, led by Tonka Hemingway. I expected a lot out of this group, and I thought this group could make a real impact in this game. They didn't do squat. And no offense, at the Power 5 level, you're no longer good enough by just sitting there maintaining your gap integrity and not letting the lineman blow you off the line by 5 yards. That's not good enough. At some point, some of those guys have got to be disruptors and game wreckers. And South Carolina didn't get that at all against North Carolina. And that was a unit, by the way, that last year gave up 40 sacks. The pass rush was non-existent. I know North Carolina's offensive coordinator had a good game plan. He caught a lot of quick passes. They had, a, they had some six, seven-man protections that they called at times. Kudos to Chip Lindsey, because he out-coached Clayton White. That was very evident. And South Carolina, it just felt like they never even got close to Drake May. You can't have that. You just can't have that. So to put it bluntly, the play in the trenches was abysmal on Saturday night, and there's no other way of getting around it. Now, as I said at the beginning, it was not all bad. There were some positives to take away from this game, specifically with a couple of skill position players on both offense and defense. And I'm going to touch on that in just a couple of moments. Today's show is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Now, time for your game changer of The Week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Spencer Rattler, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. Spencer Rattler threw for 353 passing yards while completing 76.9% of his passes on Saturday night. Athletic Brewing Company brews over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beers, including IPAs, Golden Sours, and more. And the best part is... You'll never have hangovers when you have their non-alcoholic beers. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off of your first order. That's code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Alright, thank y'all for tuning in to this special live reaction edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day, and if you're an everyday dayer tuning in, as always, thank you for making us your first choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. Now, moving on from the trenches to the skill positions on both sides of the ball, there were some highlights and there were some lowlights as far as those positions were concerned. To start off with the offense... A huge round of applause to Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett. Those two guys showed up on Saturday night. Spencer Rattler, everyone talks about how he didn't do good enough in 2022. And sure, part of the reason that Spencer Rattler's stat line looked so bad heading into the Tennessee game was because he had a hard time in some ways, trusting a pro style offense at the same time. Outsiders don't understand how much Marcus Satterfield, in my opinion, had a negative impact on Spencer Rattler and how much he was thinking instead of doing on the field, a la Nick Sirianni right there. But Spencer Rattler, his pocket navigation was really good on Saturday. There was only one time in terms of the sacks where Spencer Rattler, in my opinion, sort of got himself into trouble running backwards into a bunch of North Carolina defensive box players. But besides that one sack, I thought that his poise was really good. I thought his pocket awareness was really good. He scrambled for a bunch of yards. I thought Spencer Rattler played really well in this game. He is not the reason South Carolina lost. A lot of times in 2022, you could sit there and say Rattler did not help his team win. But that's not going to be the case this year. And the sad thing is, Spencer Rattler just might not get enough help from this offensive line. It's it's really a shame to have to admit that, but Spencer Rattler looks like he is finally living up to the potential that we all thought he had when he came to Columbia, but he did not get a whole lot of help. He did get help, though, from Xavier Leggett at wide receiver. Props to Xavier Leggett. This man, so many times. He could have decided to transfer elsewhere. He could have decided that he was done with football, but Xavier Leggett came back for one more year... He felt like that he still had more to give. And if he plays like he did on Saturday night, he'll be an All-SEC player, no doubt. Xavier Leggett, I believe, had 170-plus receiving yards on seven or eight catches. He was phenomenal. He made big-time grabs with a defender right there on him. He made guys miss after the catch, got yards after contact. Xavier Leggett was a true number one wide receiver. In all honesty, on Saturday night, that's not to take away from Juice Wells. That's not me trying to say that Juice Wells had better worry because Xavier gets right on his heels. Not saying that, but it's a great development in terms of the wide receiver room and Spencer Rattler and the connection that those two have together. Because we still need to see Xavier get go out there and show that he was ready to take a bigger role in this offense. And he more than answered the call on Saturday night against North Carolina. So great job, Xavier Leggett. At the same time, uh, where are all the other wide receivers? Where are you? Juice Wells, I'll go ahead and say, I don't think he was 100%. I think we got a bit misled by Shane Beamer as far as his health stats was concerned. Because Juice Wells eventually left the game and did not return. I don't think that means he's going to be out for the next week necessarily. But again, we'll sort of wait and see. How this week progresses and unfolds in terms of what his status is. Uh, Amari Brown had a couple of nice little swing and screen passes that he took for significant amounts of yards down the field. I thought he played well in terms of the role that he had. He also left the game at one point and did not return. Omega Blake, I didn't hear his name a whole lot. Elijah Caldwell, I know, traveled with the team. Granted, he's a true freshman, but would have liked to see him get maybe a little bit more involved or maybe get a little bit more of a chance at the end of the game when it was pretty much decided. Trey Knox and Joshua Simon, didn't see a whole lot of those two either. And those two guys were talked about a lot this offseason, and I bought in in terms of what kind of talent this tight end room has. And maybe you could sit there and say, well, part of it was because of the offensive line. I'd definitely be willing to listen to that. But I just feel like that Trey Knox and Joshua Simon, for at least in terms of Game 1, their impact was minimal in terms of the passing game. Luke Doty is also a good story in this game because he went out there and made a couple plays in the fourth quarter, made some big-time catches, took some contact as well. Um, Kudos to Luke Doty. However, Luke Doty is a former quarterback, or I shouldn't say former quarterback, I take that back. Please take what I just said with a grain of salt. I misspoke there. Luke Doty is a quarterback that is playing wide receiver currently at the same time right now. That's what I should have said. Where are the other wideouts? Where are some of the guys that have been in this program for several years now? They're not true freshmen. A couple of them didn't even dress and come with the team to Charlotte. Where are some of those guys at? Wide receiver recruiting. I'm telling y'all, I've I've sent out this alarm bell twice on this show. It is starting to show up a little bit. And after this year, if things don't get better this offseason in terms of maybe recruiting the transfer portal, which you're going to have to do if you're this staff, it's going to be worse. Because again, Luke Doty playing wide receiver, making plays, got no issue with that. But it's also not a good sign in terms of the depth at that position, in my opinion. It really isn't. Round of applause to Stone, Blanton, and Debo Williams on the defensive side of the ball. I thought they i thought they played their hearts out. I thought that they had played a really good game. No, they probably didn't play perfect. They probably had a couple plays where maybe they went into the wrong gap. They got a little too antsy. But those guys were flying around. Those guys looked athletic. They were running sideline to sideline. That's the best that linebacker position, in my opinion, has looked in several years. I thought those two guys played really well, and they had to play the entire game because Mokaba apparently, not ready to play significant snaps. He got dinged up, could not play the rest of the game. You're seeing a reoccurring trend there with injuries. I'll definitely jump on that later in the show as well. And Pup Power didn't see a whole lot of him, but again, he's a true freshman. Give him a little bit of time. He'll get acclimated. He'll make more of an impact, in my opinion, as the year goes on. But Props to those guys, because they played their hearts out, and I thought that they prevented their, I thought they prevented North Carolina from stringing too many explosive plays in terms of the ground game. Secondary, we learned on Saturday night, the secondary is going to have some growing pains for the first time in a little while. Uh, the losses of Cam Smith and Darius Rush are probably going to hurt a little bit more than we thought that would. And the thing to keep in mind is North Carolina was down two of the top three wide receivers, heading into this game. Tess Walker, we all have heard about that a thousand times now. Don't need to rehash that. They also did not have Nate McCollum, who, from what I was told from our North Carolina host in Locked On's network, Isaac Shade, is one of their top three wide receivers on this team. But you wouldn't been able to tell that at times, the fact that both those guys were absent. Uh, the secondary had too many coverage busts. Multiple busts that led to explosive plays for this Tar Heel offense. And I have to admit, I kind of thought they would pick up right where they left off. And seems like I was a little bit wrong on that. Now, losing a Nick Evan worry literally at the beginning of the game does not help your secondary at all. Definitely acknowledge that. Jalen Kilgore, a true freshman, having to play a significant amount of snaps, basically the whole game, does not help you. Kenyon Nelson Jr., maybe he needs a little more time than we figured since it's only his second year, and that was really only his second big-time game in terms of the amount of snaps he played. North Carolina also had a lot of quick passes, and they established a decent ground attack, which made it easier for them to go after this secondary. It definitely did. And in terms of the rush defense, I know it's all 11, and the coaches preach that all the time with that unit. In my opinion, rush defense has to start with a defensive front. You can't always have your defensive backs having to go in there and make plays. I thought that they had their moments on Friday night. Excuse me, Saturday night. But again, one tackle for loss. Just not going to cut it. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit. But point being, secondary, the growing pains are going to be a little bit um, more prevalent than maybe we would have imagined heading into this season. So, there's obviously some blame to go around here. And I just talked about some of the bad play that some of these position groups had. But the coaches deserve a massive share of the blind pie, in my opinion, in different ways. And I'll touch on which ways, where they need to improve, and what all maybe led to this performance in just a couple of moments. Today's show is also brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more so, visit fanduelcom on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Okay, let's talk about how much blame this coaching staff deserves. Because Shane Beamer, look, I know that fans might not care as much about this, but he did say in his postgame presser. He, he took a lot of the blame, and he and the coaching staff, he just flout said they had to coach better. He obviously spread around to everybody saying players got to execute better, but you could tell he was putting the onus of the blame for this game on the coaching staff, and a good coach should do that, especially after what all happened in this season opener against the Tar Heels. So where does the blame exactly lie, though? In what areas? Well, here's the first area that I think of. Shane Bieber and the staff deserve some blame from what, in my opinion, is um, a rash of misevaluations in terms of some of these portal offensive linemen that they brought in. I would think that this staff did not just go after a Jackson Hughes, a Sydney Fugar, Nick Gargiulo, Nyman Zell, all those guys. I would think that they went after more than just those four or five guys. But honestly, out of the four or five they brought in, Only one of them really held their own, in my opinion, on Saturday night, and it was Nick Gargiulo. So for Shane Beamer, the question that I would throw out there is, did y'all not go after any bigger names? Did you not make a big enough push for some of these bigger targets in the portal? I believe there's a guy, uh, Gunnar Britton, or Connor Britton, offensive lineman for Western Kentucky, was from the state of South Carolina, was like a four-star transfer portal prospect. He went to Auburn. Did, did y'all not make a big enough push for a guy like that? Or did you look at the guys that you did bring in and say, those are the guys you want? Because if you answer yes to either of those questions, we need to start questioning your use of the portal, and we need to start questioning your evaluations in terms of portal offensive linemen. Because again, one game in, it looks like y'all swung and missed on the majority of these guys. It does. Looking at running back, I alluded to this earlier, this running back room, again, just based on one game, there's no real game, there's no game breaker. I love to carry on Joyner. And to carry on, again, I'm willing to admit, for sure, he did not get a fair chance on a lot of those running plays on Saturday night. But even when he did have a chance, when he was in open space, he had one guy in front of him, I didn't see him break really any tackles. And I didn't see him shake any guys loose. I didn't see that happen at all. And the really good running backs make that happen. So this idea that the carry on Jordan was going to have a just game-breaking type season. He was going to be like an offensive MVP for this team. Again, maybe I'm just completely wrong. Maybe they just completely turned things around in that area. But it's pretty clear that um, we overvalued some of these positives and undervalued some of these negatives coming into this season. So I'm not going to continue to do that anymore. Not after what happened on Saturday. No, sir. Not going to do it. You lost a lot of guys in this 2022 recruiting cycle. Ramon Brown, Jalen Glover, two targets that you missed out on. And then you had some really bad luck this offseason. Marshawn Lloyd transfers to Southern Cal. Lavassier Carroll medically retires from the game of football. I believe Rashad Amos transferred. That one wasn't really surprising. Christian Bill Smith graduates. Eligibility is exhausted. So it's not all on the staff what happened with the running back position, but it is partly on them without a question. They are bringing in Matthew Fuller. You have got to get Daniel Hill by any means necessary. You can't lose out on him. If you lose out on him... um. This running back position is not going to see a significant jump this next year. It's just not. You better hope Dontavious Braswell is ready soon. Because in my opinion, in terms of somehow alleviating some of the run blocking woes at the running back position, giving this team a chance, a fighting chance, he's the one guy that can do it because he's got a game-breaking aspect that none of these other guys have, and it is speed. He might not break all the tackles, but doggone it, he can outrun the majority of the defenders that they face. So I think that you need Dontavis Braswell to make some strides very quickly, and put him out there on the field. Defensive coaching, Clayton White. We're in year three now. Where's the rush defense? Rush defense is supposed to be a pillar of this program. It's what they touted about you as a coach. Where is it? One tackle for loss against a North Carolina team that, again, that unit gave up 40 sacks last year. I know that doesn't correlate to run blocking, but typically if you got a unit that's that bad in one area, they're probably overall not a very good unit. And it's not like that you lack star power. Again, talk of Hemingway supposed to be an all SEC type player. You bring in a Travion Robertson who we all w- were thinking was an upgrade, and I and I'm not I'm certainly not going to go back on that notion. But at this point, I've got I think it's coaching. Something's going on with this scheme. Something's going on with the mentality of this defense. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it, but I can say this. We're three years in now. If not now, then when? Y'all've got to fix this. South Carolina—they're at their best when their defense is leading the charge. They are historically; that's always the way they've been. This defense has been nothing to be proud of for like the last decade now—minus one or two decent seasons. This can't continue. Just put—I'll just end it with that. This can't continue. And the last thing that I'm really starting to question, this grueling summer and physical fall camp that got talked about so much by Shane Beamer. And I mean, it got discussed a lot. There were a lot of guys that got hurt on Saturday. A lot of guys. Shane Beamer could not even recall all the guys that left the game in his post-game press conference. He couldn't. He recalled a few of them, but he couldn't recall all of them. That's obviously not ideal. If your head coach is in that kind of spot in a press conference. I know this is a very physical sport. I would know because I played this sport. No, I didn't play college ball at any level. I played just high school ball. But I have an idea. I had knee issues. I had all sorts of injuries my senior year. It's You're going to get hurt. Guys are going to get dinged up. They're never going to be playing 100%. I know that. I'm not naive to that. But when you put guys through the ringer like Shane Beamer has alluded to over the past couple months, and then you have your first game, and yes, some of these injuries are freak injuries like Case and Henry's. I really hope that that injury is not serious. Hope he's able to come back soon. But some of these other guys going down as easily as they did, what are we doing in practice? I don't, and I don't want to scare y'all, but I will say this. This is reminiscent of another coach that this program used to have that talked about how physical their practices were, that it was almost like a point of pride with him and his staff. And what did we always see? We always saw a bunch of guys get dinged up. By the end of the year, it was like a literal laundry list of players that were not able to go out there on the field because of how many injuries we had. So I'm just saying... We've heard a lot about how grueling this offseason was for this team. Did y'all go over the line a little bit? I don't question Luke Day. I think that man knows what he's doing. I think he and his staff they train those guys the right way. I could talk for a whole another hour on what all he does. I don't think it's him and his staff. I just want to say that at the forefront. But um, you might want to rethink your strategy in terms of just killing these guys in practice next year. If That is what you did, which is what you alluded to, and now we're seeing all these injuries pile up that fast. I get it, injuries happen. Freak accidents happen. That many in the first week of the season? I've got questions about your philosophy in terms of how fiscal you're being in practice. I do. So... With all that being said, that does it for this live reaction edition of the Lockdown On Gamecocks podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's show. If you're a Gamecock fan, look, I know that it's probably been a tough night, tough morning and afternoon. Let me down below in the comments section, what were your thoughts on this game? How worried are you about the team potentially after what all we saw and looking ahead to the rest of the 2023 season? Do you think that any certain changes need to be made? I will not hear anything about Chamberlain needing to go. Again, that is an that is a 1000% overreaction. Maybe starting lineup changes and all that? Yeah, that needs to be considered without question. But again, let me know your thoughts in the comment section on YouTube or shoot me a direct message on Twitter if you get your audio podcast daily. If you listen to us on audio podcasts, I should say. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and I'll be right back here on Monday with more thoughts on what the Gamecocks need to do moving forward. I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.